The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way, but I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Paul Newell, he went with Danny Baker. So you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker, I'm seeing that a dunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. Today I'm talking to Rafael Pankowski. Rafael is a professor at the Institute of Sociology of Collegium Civitas in Warsaw, and he has published widely on racism, nationalism and populism, particularly in Poland. He's also co-founder of the anti-racist Never Again Association and has been serving as deputy editor of its magazine since 1996. In addition... Rafael has been a tireless activist to kick racism out of football and, together with Never Again, launched one of the most extensive anti-racism campaigns ahead of the 2012 European Cup in Poland and Ukraine. I'll talk with him about the transformation of the far right in Poland and the continuing problem of racism in Polish football. Welcome to the podcast, Rafael. It's a pleasure and, and an honor, Kas. Thank you. So before we turn our conversation to the far right in Poland, and some standard introductory questions. What was the first sports team you ever supported? I became really interested and obsessed with football at the age of six during the World Cup in Spain, where Poland played very well. And I became a big fan of the Polish national team at that time. And Zbigniew Boniek was the star of the team and my biggest idol at, at that time. Ah, yes. One of the first Polish players to make a major transfer, I think, to Juventus. Yes, it was a very impressive career and probably we will talk about it later on, but I was really hopeful when Boniek became the head of Polish football that he could bring some of this international experience, international perspective back to Polish football today. In some ways, I think we have been disappointed, but he was a great player. Okay, and second, what is your favorite political song? I think I would not be very original if I say it's White Man in Hammersmith Palais by by the clash which is a beautiful song with so many layers of meaning maybe quickly mention also one one more song that is special to me it is a song by a polish rock punk band called pyjama porno that was written especially for the compilation under the title music against racism that we produced as never again association more than 20 years ago title of the song was antifa which is again rather relevant uh, nowadays it is a song about solidarity, human decency. And finally, what is your favorite political book? That's a really interesting question, but a very difficult one for, I guess, for anybody who read more than one book in their life. But again, I think I will not be very original if I say it, it must be George Orwell and you know, 1984, Animal Farm, also Homage to Talonia. These are important books for me and, of course, many other people. Maybe I would also mention one Polish book from the 1920s by Stefan Żeromski, a famous Polish left-wing writer. The title of the book is Przed Wiośnie, which you can translate as Before Spring. It's a novel about Poland and Polish politics in the early 1920s. Um, in 2010, you published a book, The Populist Radical Right in Poland, The Patriots, with Routledge. And full disclosure, I was one of the book series editors at that time. It was written in the wake of the first law and justice or PIS government, which was a coalition with the Populist Self-Defense and the far-right League of Polish Families. How has Polish far-right party politics changed since then? 
I think in some ways, in some strange ways, it is actually maybe more relevant today than 10 years ago, because you know, many of the protagonists of that book are still around. In fact, they are running the country today. So some things, of course, changed, but I think a lot of things have not changed. It is simply the case, the strength, the social political significance of the Polish far right has been amplified. So in, in 2015, PIS came back to power, but this time alone. However, it did so without its all-powerful leader, Jaroslav Kaczynski, who sits in the background. Why was that? Technically, it is true. You know, Kaczynski is not prime minister. He is not the president. But in reality, there is no doubt at all. He is the person ruling Poland today even without a formal function and you know i'm not betraying any state secret here this is this is common knowledge and this is this is widely accepted both by opponents and supporters of the the ruling party so technically kaczynski is just an ordinary member of parliament but effectively he is the one who decides on all the important issues and i think you know when we talk about populist radical right or or we talk about politics in general we talk about social forces also personalities matter we also see it in the case of historic leader in Poland, Jarosław Kaczyński, and how his personal evolution influenced his own party, but very importantly, very strongly influenced the country and the outlook of Poland and, uh, and you, know, you could even say the shape of Polish identity today. Because he started as national leader in the early 90s with a rather different platform. He was a kind of center-right politician with an agenda that focused on modernization. And it was also very strongly pro-Western. And if you look at Kaczynski's outlook today and the kind of ideology and discourse that his party is producing nowadays, it is very different. It is very critical of modernization, to put it mildly. It is very critical of the West, to put it mildly. And I think a lot of this change and evolution in attitude has to do with personal choices and strategic decisions taken by Jarosław Kaczyński along the way over the years. Right. But one of the interesting things is that quite often we talk about far-right politics as a politics of charismatic leaders. Orban in Hungary was very similar to Kaczynski and Fidesz to PIS, but he is the figurehead. It is him mm -hmm. who is on the ballot. Why was Kaczynski not on the ballot? Well, I think uh, at some point he understood he was a popular leader, but also a polarizing figure, and it was a tactical move uh, not to put forward Kaczynski as a candidate for president in 2015, which worked well for the party because their candidate Andrzej Duda won, and they used the same trick or the same tactic at the parliamentary election in, in 2015, and again it worked well for the party because they won. Everybody knows Kaczynski has more or less dictatorial power over the party, but at the same time, I think he doesn't even want the spotlight that comes with the formal office. But I think, yes, it can be quite misleading also for, for international observers of Polish politics who are disoriented because they might not immediately understand that the real leader is not the one who is the office holder. Right. And... Polish nationalism and nationalist politics even today is often kind of seen in terms of the legacy of the pre-war period in the two camps of Peluski versus Moski. In what way does PIS fit here? 
I think it is a really interesting issue. Piłsudski is meant to represent the more inclusive form of Polish national identity or, or nationalism, if, if you like, a more civic form, and Dmowski presents the more ethnic and uh, religious-based form of nationalism, which is quite narrow and potentially racist. And I think on the surface, this first vision symbolized by Piłsudski is more popular, uh, more people would openly subscribe to this vision of Polish identity. But again, in reality, I think especially in the last years, as a country, we have moved strongly towards Dmowski vision of Polish identity, which is summarized by the slogan Polish Catholic, Polak Catholic, which is quite an exclusive vision. You know, Poland today is not the diverse and multicultural Poland of the past. Nowadays, Poland is the least diverse country, the least diverse society in the whole of Europe, which is much more in line with the vision of a mono-ethnic country that was the vision of Roman Dmowski. And also, you know, the idea of Polish identity defined by ethnicity and by Catholicism. That is in many ways uh, hegemonic and is really the dominant view on what it means to be Polish. In a way, we see the influence and the significance of those ideas about Polish identity also in the last two weeks during the current electoral campaign, when again the idea of exclusion from the national community is very prominent and minorities have been targeted by the ruling party and by the propaganda machine that is the state-owned media, especially the state-run television. So once again they targeted refugees and Muslims, they also targeted LGBT people and they also targeted Jews. PAS is often seen as a religious party, as an Orthodox Catholic party. What is the role of religion in the party ideology? And what role does it play in government policy? And also, what is the party's relationship with the Catholic Church in Poland? Well, it seems the ruling party and the leadership of the Catholic Church in Poland are very close today. But who is controlling whom on different issues is rather hard to say. I think it's a complex relationship. And again, if we look at the history of law and justice, when it started as a party in 2001, but also before when Jarosław Kaczyński and his followers campaigned on, on other issues in the 90s, it was not necessarily a group that was automatically allied with the church. I think, you know, this alliance came much later and it became fortified in the last five or ten years. But I think we are also talking about a certain specific aspect of Polish Catholicism, which has also evolved over the years and in, and in the last years. And it has not evolved in a progressive direction, but on the contrary. I think in the 90s it was still possible to debate which point of view is more more representative of the, of the Catholic Church in Poland. You had more more conservative elements, you had more, more liberal elements in, in, the, in the church. I think today this debate is more or less over in the sense that one faction within the church won the struggle, if you like, the struggle for control of, of the church. And it is the faction that is built around Radio Maria, And as, as you know, Radio Maria is not just a radio station, mm -hmm. but it is a whole movement with its own university, with its own daily paper, its own TV station, uh, a number of front organizations. So it's a significant social movement, which is also a political movement, which is very much rooted also in xenophobia and often anti-Semitism. And the side of the Catholic Church in Poland that seems very much in charge of the whole institution. 
So let's talk about Polish football and the problem of racism in the stands as well as far-right hooligans. Can you discuss the current situation? And I guess mm-hmm. pre-COVID-19, as Polish football is now played without fans. Actually, some limited numbers of fans are again allowed in the stadiums in, in Poland, which, of course, we can wonder whether racism will also come back to the stadium. And um, to be honest, I'm not very optimistic because I think it has been very present in many Polish clubs for many years. Mm-hmm. I think one example uh, is the prominence of the story of Janusz Walusz, who is very present as a hero in many Polish stadiums in the last years. Janusz Walusz is the Polish immigrant in South Africa who became involved in racist politics in the 80s. And in 1994, he assassinated Chris Hani, who was uh, the leader of the South African Communist Party. And he is still in jail in South Africa for that murder. And in the last years, he became a pillar cause for the far right. His picture, his name is very often present in Polish stadiums in the last couple of years, which is a form of endorsement of racism as an ideology, but also a form of political violence and, uh, and murder. Is this a problem of what we call everyday racism, in the sense regular people shouting abuse at black players, or are far-right groups involved, or are the hooligan groups themselves far-right but not necessarily connected to far-right organizations? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think far-right culture is very present in the culture of Polish football. And in many cases, those violent hooligan elements that have a very significant voice in running many of the clubs in Poland, they are at the same time very strongly ideologically influenced by far-right nationalist ideology and also racist ideology in many cases. So it's actually quite difficult to make a clear-cut distinction between the ultras, hooligans and far-right. In the case of Polish football culture, quite often all those elements elements of the puzzle, they really come together and they are very difficult to break or to challenge the dominance of far-right culture, Polish football, on, on many levels. And are these groups, these ultra-groups or hooligan groups, do they have any power over the club? Yes, there are cases where this has been very well uh, documented as exemplified by the case of Wisła Kraków, which is one of the oldest football clubs in Poland and also a club with a very strongly anti-Semitic history in the 30s. But I think it would be wrong to point to one or two clubs and say, well, these are the clubs with the problem as if the other clubs don't have a similar problem. I think this problem actually applies to almost every football club in the country in different ways. And of course, some clubs are known for it or notorious for it, like Legia Warsaw. But I think it's actually a problem across the board and across the country. Are there any clubs that have an anti-racist or anti-fascist ultra scene in Poland? There are several subgroups, but they are generally very small. You know, there are some groups of anti-fascist fans, Krakowia, Kraków, the oldest Polish club, by the way. As never again, we published a really interesting book about the history of Krakowia as a multi-ethnic club. There are some small groups of fascist fans in Wiedzewuj, also in Warsaw, in Legia and in Polonia, Warsaw. There is a small club which promotes itself as a kind of progressive club, and its name is AKS in Warsaw, but it's a small club in a lower league. So th- there are small pockets of anti-fascist and, and anti-racist football culture in Poland. I'm afraid this is very much a minority today. Right. And the situation in Poland, is it unique to Poland? Is it particularly bad or is it quite similar to some other Central European countries? And if so, which ones? 
Well, I'm sure there are similarities and many of those problems, many of those challenges are common challenges. And I am also quite certain there is a lot of mutual inspiration between far-right hooligans from those different countries. And I think Serbia in particular is a kind of point of reference also to, to the Polish far-right in the stadiums. But I think what is special about Poland is the high level of violence around football. And in some cities, such as Kraków, it is exceptionally high. Even the pandemic didn't stop it. There are still violent confrontations between fans of opposing teams. But I think what is also special in Polish case is the relative lack of reaction and lack of leadership in the Polish Football Association, which basically denies the importance and the, the existence of the challenge, which is racism in Polish football. And of course, the first step towards dealing with the problem is admitting the problem actually exists. But with the Polish Football Association today, we are not even at the stage when the chairman of the Football Association would admit that racism exists as a challenge, which of course is in contrast with the policy of US. Paradox, because of course Poland is a member of UEFA too, and as we know, uh, for years UEFA has actively supported anti-racism and anti-discrimination activities in football. But again, I think a lot has to do with personalities and personal choices and decisions made at the top of the Polish Football Association. Right, and that's an interesting link to Zbigniew Boniak and Michel Platini, who works, of course, at UEFA. And to a certain extent, a lot of fans of both players have been disappointed by mm. the players becoming bobos in UEFA and FIFA. So, well, apparently, if you are a great player, you are not always greatest leader. No, well, we know that since Pele already. <laughs> so you have been an anti-racist activist for decades, and you've been fighting racism in Polish stadiums. And yet, unlike in many West European countries, where far-right activism has become much more rare in the stadiums, Problem remains huge in Poland. What do you think went wrong and what should be done to root racism out of Polish football? Well, of course, football does not exist in isolation from the broader society. Of course, it would be surprising if there was racism in our society and there was no racism whatsoever in football. Of course, football in some ways is a reflection of society. But, uh, of course, there is a certain paradox involved in the sense that the teams in Poland are often the most diverse environments anywhere in Poland, which is not a very diverse country today, but the clubs are, are quite multinational. But, of course, around the pitch, we often witness extreme expressions of xenophobia and, and racism. But I would say a lot also depends on decisions and policies at the top. So I think a lot of progress was actually made in both in Poland and Ukraine around this issue in the run-up to the European Championships in 2012. And I am actually very proud of some of the work that we, we did with UEFA on that occasion for several years. Unfortunately, some of the progress that was made was under question in the last years. And I think some of the expressions of of racism that we saw over the years, they could have been eliminated if there was political will at the top of Polish Football Association. If change will come, maybe the mentality at the top of Polish Football Association will will change too. And then, you know, maybe we can go back to this positive spirit of Euro 2012, which overall was was, was a successful event also on the level of promoting a positive culture in football, promoting positive values such as respect for diversity. Okay, so we're coming to an end. What is the most common misperception about the far right in Poland? 
That is a very, very interesting, thought-provoking question. One misunderstanding about far right, but I think more broadly about Poland and Polish identity, is that the far right supposedly draws upon some fixed, solid form of identity that has always existed. And I think this recent case of the anti-gay campaign in Poland can be mentioned as if homophobia is deeply embedded in Polish history and tradition. And that is simply not true, because Poland used to be one of the more progressive countries in Europe. So on the topic of gay rights, it was actually one of the countries in the 1930s that did not criminalize gay sex. And this cannot be said about Britain and you know, many other countries in Europe and beyond. Same with gender equality. Poland was actually one of the third countries in Europe that had universal suffrage already in 1918, when Poland became a state again. So I think it is wrong to perceive any country, also Poland, as having an identity that does not change, um, that is fixed and, and solid. Of course, we cannot be certain about the direction of the change. And I think the last years, but also the last weeks and days in Poland show that change does not have to be a progressive change, but there is nothing that is fixed. And I think, uh, again, it is wrong to accept a kind of image that also the far right projects of itself as a kind of defender of an identity, of a form of identity that not necessarily true. I think that's a very good warning against historical determinism, but also the Orientalism that is sometimes applied to Central and Eastern Europe as a mm-hmm. kind of historical hobbit of nationalism. Thank you very yes. much for coming on the show, Rafa. Thank you very much, Kaz. Smartly, Rafa Pankowski is not on Twitter, but you can learn more about Never Again on their website, which is www.niklibicesh.org, or follow them on Twitter at stonikibicesh. I think probably it's easier just to Google Never Again Poland. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling. They say it's at its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Paul Newell. He went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and reading melodies like that. I see him down the dunk out, playing with his beard. No wonder that that's Capitale turned out a little weird.